This is the Sound Factory podcast from Sound Factory Productions. Doing it wrong, but doing it anyway. Hello and welcome to the Sound Factory podcast, a podcast about sound, music, creativity and collaboration. I'm your host, Steve Kilpatrick, a.k.a. Sound Factory, and I'm here with Oniko Toth, a.k.a. AKA Coco Vocals. And we're doing it wrong, but but we're doing it anyway. So, Steve, tell us what you've been up to today. Well, let me show you. You're so butch. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, it seems in the countryside you can't not own a chainsaw. No. I did put this off for a long time. Um, I don't really want to be polluting the countryside with that kind of noise, but hand sawing your firewood every day and prepping a barn full of wood ready for the winter is way ready for the winter three years in the future yes that's right because you've got to season your wood for three years um yeah it was rather ambitious of me to think i was going to hand saw everything and get a bit of exercise and not pollute the world with petrol and noise noise but um no so this week i bought a chainsaw part of me really likes it though i bet like you're wearing full lumberjack regalia at the moment. I've your gone full redneck. Back. Yeah, your hair's tied back. Your beard is nice and bushy. You're uh, wearing a lumberjack shirt, blue and white, uh, with little red stripes as well. And you're earlier you were wearing two pairs of pants in case of cutting yourself. With in case them. of um, yes, <laughs> beginner. I don't think you, you have a lot of room with chainsaws to make no. beginner mistakes. No. I think uh, that usually results in the loss of a limb. Yeah, so I had um, a pair of what are technically called tactical pants, which sounds like something from Wallace and Gromit, tactical pants. But my tack pants and uh, a pair of uh, overall dungarees. And I feel like Tucker and Dale versus the evil. Mm. Kind of enjoying it. What else did you do this morning? Who came to visit you at your studio? Yes, well, um, one of the things we've been doing is getting a lot of prices in for the studio. Um, And we had a lovely lady came today who's a roofer, and she's giving us a prize for a beautiful blue slate roof for the recording studio. And her name is Fanny. Yep. So the studio is still in the early days of being built. Built is perhaps a little optimistic. Prepped for building, really. Um, We're sort of prepping the land around it. Undoing the damage, really, that's befallen. It it was covered in gorgeous ivy. It looks great, but it was literally living in the walls. So these walls out here on these buildings 
are actually more like a dry stone wall. The middles of the wall, so they're two um, skins, if you like, an inner and outer, and built like a dry stone wall, so they're sort of balanced on one another. And then they're just filled with clay and mud. And lime, lime mortar. Well, the lime mortar comes later for the outside, yeah. but I believe down the center is um, any old bits of broken pottery and shoes get piled down there and um, mud and clay. So, ivy loves it. Yeah. And it, it will actually grow into the building and as it gets thicker and thicker, it starts to push the stones out. And, yeah, apart as well. Um, so, we've been hacking through ivy limbs that are literally as thick as my arm for weeks off three barns yeah i've made a face you couldn't see it <laughs> no so um what we thought we'd talk about this week is we have a subtitle for this podcast which is doing it wrong but doing it anyway and this doesn't really to me doesn't really refer to um being inept at anything um, it has the meaning of sometimes the fear that we may not be perfect at something puts us off ever doing it and it felt like a really apt name for this podcast because we started at maybe the worst time to do it we were in yeah. temporary accommodation mm. we had poor internet um, we had to record it in the bedroom. That was Penny shaking her sloppy ears. ears. Um, She's mousing. But we wanted to do it. But this is a mantra we've we've both lived with for a couple of years. What does what does it mean to you, Aniko? Well, I think it kind of some. You had another quote that I think it, that really sums it up. Is it um, perfect is the enemy of done? Perfect is the enemy of done. Is something I pinched from. Another really fantastic podcast, the Six Figure Home Studio. Yeah. It really resonated with me because I, I've always been a little bit that way. That it's it's better just to soldier on and finish something. Yeah. Than never finish something that's potentially perfect. Yeah. Um so many artists that you'll meet in your life have never actually written that book or painted no. that picture. They're always waiting for that perfect time when they're going to do it just right. Or, they, or they've started it and they've been fiddling with it for years. Maybe editing while they're doing it as well. Editing while they're doing it. Yeah. It's, um, and judging it. A lot of the things I, I learned about composition came from a lot of the books I read about creative writing. And one of the rules I picked up was don't edit while you're writing. So when you write, just write and then critique afterwards. And then since that point, that's always how I've composed music, for example. Yeah, you kind of barf it out, don't you? You barf it on the page or you, yeah. you sort of expel it from yourself. Mike Sizemore calls it the puke draft. Yeah. yeah. But it's done. Um... You know, if you have a deadline, if you have a commission and you hit the deadline and maybe it's not your best work, it's probably better than missing the deadline and that whole chain of events mm. all being screwed up. And my belief is 
whether you, whenever you deliver that work, it will be the best you can do if you've done your best. Yeah, that's true. I guess you can only expect yourself to do your best. Exactly. And not judge yourself. I mean, there's one thing that I, uh, one of my favorite things from one of my books that actually I got from a religion teacher in high school, which in the States is, I was about 16 or 17, and one of my teachers kindly gave me this beautiful book, and the uh, art is by a woman named Rusty Burkus. And there's a quote that says, when the lotus and the rose are side by side, is, is either one more beautiful? And I always share this with my, um, with my students and, and colleagues because I think it's so important that we stop comparing ourselves with others and just try to be the, the best that we can be and to grow as healthily as we can. Yeah, I think that's really important. I think another thing that doing it wrong but doing it anyway means to me is sometimes there's just got to be a first time. Yeah. And that first time you will make mistakes and holding back means that first time always still has to come. There will always be that first time. Um, so, for example, I wanted to do a refret of... Uh, a 1964 Vox Lynx guitar and I thought I've never done a refret before it's kind of crazy to jump in on a classic guitar that's you know 50 years old so I bought online for 50 quid I got three guitars three oh, yes, Fender Squire Strats and I was going to practice on them but I was just so uninspired to do it Mm -hmm. I actually never did that. Well, I, I did later, but I'll tell you about that in a minute. Um, so I just jumped in and I did the, the box. And I made some mistakes and it was hard work. But it's pretty good. There's some things I would have done differently. Some people advise me to do some things that I wish I'd have done it a different mm -hmm. way. But I can always do it again. So there's always that first time and you will always make mistakes. The thing is, if you never try something, you'll you'll uh, you'll never learn all the ins and outs of it. I suppose if you you can read about things, but doing it is you have to stumble. You have to have a stumble through. Uh, recently, uh, we heard some some kids stumbling through some sh some music, and uh, it was just so you know you could hear all the mistakes, but it's a stumble through, and there's always a rehearsal that's the stumble through rehearsal where everyone just kind of goes, oh my God, what do I need to circle on my sheet music or whatever, and to fix, because I know I need to go off and take that home and practice it. Penny, don't sniff the candle. It's going to burn your nose. Um, and there's actually a beauty in the stumble through, stumbling through, because you're sort of, in your, if you're in an ensemble, singing through something or, or uh, playing through, then you know what your responsibility is and you know where all the gaps are so the gaps are discussed by the the conductor they'll if there's a general note but you know you'll never know where the issues are in that playing through until you get to that playthrough back to your point about you can read about things that that is something you can do you can mitigate a lot of problems by gaining from other people's experience but you'll ultimately have to make that leap. Um, 
I remember completing my PhD or in the last bits of refining my PhD submission and a friend and collaborator was also coming to the end of her PhD at the same time and we both ended up in the same place but what I did was try to anticipate every problem the examiner was going to have with my work, with my compositions, with my note spelling, with my uh, my aesthetics and I tried to second guess all of that and I did pretty well but her approach was I'm just going to submit it and let them find all the mistakes that's actually working smarter I was working harder but that was working <laughs> smarter um, but making mistakes is learning but I think the root of this motto of ours, doing it wrong but doing it anyway, is if you're not prepared to make a mistake, you, you literally will do nothing. Mm. You'll stay in your comfort zone. Um, yeah, that's a big one. I w have we done everything right about our move to friends? No. No, there's lots of things. Lots of things out. we're learning. Um, and, but we were already prepared with this, doing it wrong, but doing it anyway. Would I have written my opera? Probably, if I didn't have the attitude of just jumping in, I probably wouldn't have written my first opera. It's such an overwhelming thing to do, and you think, I've never written an opera, maybe I can't do it. And you never know whether you can until you've done it. Like writing a novel or writing a play. But you have to say yes and have a go. If you say, I'll just write a opera in secret and see if it's any good and then I'll say yes to the next opera, you, you're just never going to write no. that opera. Something that, um, if I may interject here with regard to doing it wrong but doing it anyway, is it's really important to note this thing called the little voice in your head. Mm -hmm. Some people call it the inner critic. Some people call it um, the devil on your shoulder. There's lots of different um, names for it. But one thing that it's really important for all of us to remember is that we all have that sort of sense of sort of imposter syndrome or, or uh, a sense that there's that little voice that's telling us that you're not good enough or you're not ready or you're too old or you're too fat or too skinny or too, too something. Um, too young um, and we all have that and when you start getting to the edge of your comfort zone I know this for myself is that little voice starts talking to you on bullhorn mm. <laughs> it's it gets louder and louder the more you're out of your comfort zone because it's uncomfortable it's uncomfortable to push push those boundaries and we're we are geared to survive aren't we we're geared to sort of be um, within our comfort zone, really, and safe. And if we're out of our comfort zone, it's it's very uncomfortable and, and can be painful. But that's where growth is, isn't it? I suppose if you're working out your muscles, it hurts when you're breaking them down with the weights, and then they regrow, and then they regrow bigger. And it's the same thing with your sort of art muscles and your creativity muscles as well. Yeah, I think some people are... Um I, w I wouldn't like to say better equipped 
for these leaps because it's not better equipped. It's just a, a low threshold for boredom with some of us. <laughs> so the safe option to me is so horrendously tedious that I can't really do it forever. I actually need that. I need that fear. I need to say, you know, yes, I'll write you your an opera and then the fear of I've really no idea if I have the chops to do this. Same with, with, with emigrating, this is the second time. Three, if you count moving back to the UK. It was frightening, but I needed that fear. I would have... Of course, we've never done everything in the place that we're, we're from. There's always more to do, but sometimes you can feel that, that it's not, there's not enough there for you. Stephen King says you can only know one place really well, which is why he sets all his novels around Bangor in Maine, which mm. is where he's from, because mm. he knows that. So that Steve is the, the anti-Steve to this Steve, in a way. Yeah, I think I'm a little bit, I lean towards that. I, I have a tendency to sort of go inside of myself, and it, it's, it's easier for me to, to um, kind of curl up and not do things because it, it the fear sometimes gets to me too much and recently I've been reading Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway by Susan Jeffers it really reminded me that really everyone has that stop it's you know stop don't do it but there are so many costs to um, const always putting the brakes on and something that actually has helped me a lot is just to think do it do it wrong but do it anyway there's like there's a kind of playfulness about it there's like a okay oh well well okay well let's give it a shot you know there's a an element of play and that things can come out of playing rather than being so serious you know that's another thing that we've been saying a lot is nobody died you know nobody died yeah. if you if you did a a rubbish painting or if you you know wrote spelled something wrong or if you most of the decisions yeah. we make in our lives about the things that frighten us are, are really not life-threatening. Mm. And it's actually the things people don't think about. They're the life-threatening ones, like, shall I have one more drink before I drive home? <laughs> um, should well, I drive a little bit faster than I normally do because I'm late? And, and all of those things, that's when people die. Should I not bother wearing my mask because it's slightly uncomfortable in the supermarket? Mm. You know, these are actually the big things. Mm. If you write a really, really bad opera, people just won't listen to it. You know, really, you have to put these things in perspective. Art has the potential to change people and change people's minds and change people's feelings and create empathy and all of those things. But also... You know, it's it's not a bomb. It won't yeah. blow up and kill somebody it's if you not don't. A boom. All it will be is not effective. You know? Yeah. So that, that that's where I feel on, and I think what I would ask you is, if you were allowed to withdraw from that fear and withdraw into a comfort, would that make you happy? No, it it actually it's actually quite an anxiety-inducing. It feels actually really good to stretch 
those muscles when you do it. Mm. You start to feel like, oh, if, if I can just pull this in as a playful thing. I have to do that, actually. Before every performance, I have to do a lot of breathing, like deep breathing out. And I have to think, oh, well, it's. I have to pretend like it's almost like it's a rehearsal. I have a lot of um, performance anxieties from time to time, and to help with the adrenaline, I just have to go, right, whatever, whatever. <laughs> and so that really helps to just go, yeah, whatever, it's going to be whatever it is. I think there is um, something about creating and just doing it that I use this example when I teach, or when I used to teach composition students. And the example would be much better if I could remember the name of the program, but there was a TV film, I believe, with uh, Robert Lindsay. And he plays this character who goes on honeymoon with his wife. I think it's set in the 30s or something like mm -hmm. that. It's not contemporary. And they holiday in a casino or a, a place that has a casino. They're in sort of Monte Carlo or somewhere like this. He stumbles across this guy's notebook. This guy has basically um, almost cracked the system for winning in the casino. And Robert Lindsay, I think, is a mathematician, his character, and he works out the final part. And so in the evening, he plays the tables. And there's a scene that stuck out. And his wife says, oh, do you need to go down and play today? And he says, yeah, it's really important that I play today. Uh, I'm going to lose, but I have to play. And she says, well, why don't you just not play on the days you're going to lose? So he knows in advance with this system that the next however many games he's going to lose. And he says, but I, I will still have to lose those games whenever I play. And I approach a new composition with, if I'm going to do something bad, I'm going to do it anyway. Mm -hmm. So I just need to start today Compose, 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 compose. If the first three things are bad, I can throw them in the bin. But if I wait till tomorrow, I'll still have three bad things mm -hmm. to write. If I wait till the day after, I'll still have three bad mm -hmm. things. Mm -hmm. And I find composition is a little bit like that for me. If I just allow myself to write, and I, I very specifically give myself permission to write something bad. Mm. And it really liberates me stops me stressing, kills that inner critic because he's got nothing to say. I've got the permission to say, to write something bad. Yeah, that's true. And inevitably, those first few things that you write that are bad, maybe they won't go in that piece, but there's usually something in there, a little nugget that you can do something with and that's maybe one chord or something <laughs> it could be one chord it could be go, one phrase but you can't begin till you find yeah. that yeah so if it's a bunch of gobbledygook with one kernel right? three note section that sounds quite yeah. good at least you've got that to begin with yeah. so i think that's really important it's like that other quote and i may have said this on another podcast but the best way 
to not write the great American novel is to try and write the great American novel. Yeah, it's that pressure of basically our, our quote, doing it wrong but doing it anyway, takes that pressure off that, you know, it might be rubbish, but it's done and then you can go to the next step, as you say. I mean, mm -hmm. as a vocalist, it's one of the things that you have to deal with is every day your voice is different. Every mm -hmm. single day your muscles are different, uh, particularly for women, which um, female singers will know is, you know, your cycle affects things, you have more fluid in your body, and that affects things if you're slightly dehydrated, if you've had a drink in the last couple days, that will mm. that will affect you. So when you're, you know, working on a performance, you can't really drink, um, you know, how much coffee you've had or how much sleep you've had. Everything varies, you know, will vary your voice. And some days you just have bad singing days, but you still have to do the thing because the muscles need training and that's a physical muscle thing the other thing that I would say is even though you're still playing this that's more in the creative process you do have to be prepared <laughs> mm. I think that is another thing that helps with um, and again coming back to say my pre-show stresses it's like you have to trust that you've put in a lot of prep work you've got your costume on you've got your right shoes on you know you've done the mic test uh, the mic um, check with your heels on so you know it's at the right height and all of these little prep things and you have all your gear in your dressing room and all of that stuff if you're a performer but in the end you just have to do it it's a good point because you're making me think about how I work and and making it sound very gung-ho that you just write, which of course you do. But prep is really important mm. and planning. Mm. Because that's where the structure is for your creativity. Mm. One of the other things I find um, kills young composers and student composers' work is um, they think they can bypass the planning they think it will be quicker to just jump in mm. and that's why student composers have come to you every week with a different intro and no music that goes with it because mm. they just jump in at the beginning and it fizzles out you know and that's the thing you get that kernel of an idea but if you've got your chops together if you've done your prep that kernel very easily becomes something big. And it doesn't have to be mind-blowingly great kernel. Some of the best music ever written is all about the structure and planning. Mm. I mean, how's this for a musical idea? Da-na-na-na. Da-na-na-na. Da-na-na-na, da-na-na-na, da-na-na-na. It's one simple idea you know it doesn't didn't probably didn't i'm sure beethoven didn't write that right wow that's an earworm da -na -na -na. he and didn't then think there. that way he thought <laughs> yeah he wasn't made know, a jingle <laughs> he was a very very sort of systematic worker yeah. they know from his notes the crossings out and rewriting and entire stage being taken out you know, he he, he created a structure. had his chops and he did his prep. Yeah. 
and if you do that you can turn something that is not the catchiest thing in the world into a fantastic piece of music. Mm. Rachmaninoff had much catchier tunes but we don't think of Rachmaninoff as in the same league as a symphonist as, as Beethoven. Mm. He's all melody. Meanwhile, sorry, I'm wafting. We're definitely doing it wrong by doing this at nat o'clock. We're doing it wrong at mid o'clock, oh. uh, which is probably a good sign that it's time to go in <laughs> uh, because I'm eating my eyes. Yes. So before we go, if we could just ask you, if you like this podcast, just leave us a, a rating on Apple Podcasts. And if you really like it, or you're just very kind, or you're my mum, or sister, write us a little review. It's really helpful for us to get the podcast out to more people. People seem to like the podcast, and we'd like to get it out to more people. So that would really, really help if you could do that for us. You can also sign up for the Sound Factory newsletter via your website. You can. You can. Uh, you'll get a little pop-up if you go to my website, which is soundfactoryproductions.com. But I will also put a little link below. It will just take you to the sign-up. So if you get there, I'll give you a little bit of news. Sometimes I post videos that I haven't shared on YouTube, some sort of slightly more secret stuff, and, and, and some personal stuff sometimes. Give you an update on the studio, and then there's always the link to the podcast in there. So, thanks again for listening. I'm here with... Aniko Toth, a.k.a. Coco Vocals. And I'm Steve Kilpatrick, a.k.a. Sound Factory. And I'm at Sound Factory at Twitter, believe it or not. What are you on Twitter? I'm at Coco Vocals. <laughs> the end. The end. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. <laughs>